0: The following presentation is brought to you by The Realm Network. Everyone has AIDS! AIDS, AIDS, AIDS! AIDS, 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 AIDS! AIDS. Everyone has AIDS! And so this is the end of our story. And everyone is dead from AIDS took from me my best friend, my only true pal, my only bright star. He died of well, I'm going to march on Washington, lead the fight and charge the brigades. There's a hero inside of all of us. I'll make them see everyone has AIDS. My father, AIDS. My sister, AIDS. My uncle and my cousin and her best AIDS, friend. AIDS, AIDS, AIDS. The gays and the straights and the whites and the spades. Has Ace. Ace! My grandma and my dog are all blue Ace, Ace, Ace. The Pope has got it inside.
1: In our vernacular, we use the names of places to stand for particular industries. For example, we say Silicon Valley for the tech world, Madison Avenue for advertising, and Wall Street for business. In entertainment, Hollywood is the place where movies are made, and Broadway is the live theater counterpart. It takes a special ability to transfer the stories from one medium to another. In the case of Broadway musicals going to film, the results have been decidedly mixed some adaptations have bombed critically and financially, others have won Academy Awards. On this episode of Arc, I'm going to go over the successes and failures of bringing Broadway to Hollywood, and why it's ultimately a necessary thing. Also, I'm going to give my commentary on certain issues that Broadway and its fans may not be aware of. This is Arc. God bless television. To the
0: movies. To good movies. To every possible kind. I am the danger. I am the one who knocks.
1: Is that a hair gel? <laughs> Loud noises!
0: There's no crying in baseball! That's not even a word! Game over, man. It's game over. I'll be back. I yes. want the truth! You can't handle the truth! These are their stories. <laughs> I order you, watch more television
1: than ever before. Welcome to the 10th episode of Arts Review and Commentary. My name is Omar Letiri, and I'd like to thank Jabari, Joe, Michael, and Panda for having me on the Jabari Brown Podcast, also on the Realm Network. Please visit realmnetwork.com to listen to the JBP, where we talked about movie ratings, the JFK assassination, and funky named beers. It was a blast being on there, and I can't wait to do it again.
0: I was 19 years old when the musical Cats came to our town. I couldn't wait to see it. After the show, I was asked if I wanted to go meet some of the performers backstage. Man, I was thrilled. But when I got back there, they were drunk and out of control. Rumpus Cat and Macavity kept feeling up my leg. I tried to leave, but... teaser held me down and I was raped by Mr. Mistopheles. That's
1: why you don't trust actors. It's a bit of a stereotype that the best actors are the ones who have been trained on the stage as opposed to movies or TV. A stage actor is typically supposed to have the ability to give a noteworthy performance not only to the people seated close to the stage but to the people far in the balcony. A stage actor therefore has to learn how much subtlety to sacrifice while still being able to project and, depending on how good the show is, must be able to do that day after day after day for however long the show runs. Obviously, musicals require more than just acting skill, but singing as well. And as we'll discover, a skilled Hollywood actor may not have enough talent or ability to be a skilled Broadway singer. Are you
0: not entertained? Are you not entertained?
1: Yeah, we'll get to you soon enough, Russell. When we think of the best Broadway musicals that have been adapted for film, we often think of the various works of Richard Rodgers and Oscar Hammerstein. Roska has been trying to get that name pronounced Hammerstein now for 15 years, and
0: people still say Hammerstein. Well, I said Hammerstein tonight, didn't I? No. 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 All right.
1: Okay, Rodgers and Hammerstein. Their work in the first half of the 20th century, as well as the works of Alan J. Lerner and Fritz Lowe, shaped our consciousness of what is in a quote-unquote traditional musical. Yes, Gilbert and Sullivan musicals were around 50 years prior, but the commercial and critical successes of the movie versions of shows like Oklahoma, South Pacific, My Fair Lady, and of course, The Sound of Music were what spread the knowledge and appreciation of their musicals across America and around the world. You see, the stage, being a finite space, can be limiting. Putting on a show with spectacle becomes a challenge, and with the numerous obstacles that present itself with live theater become increasingly difficult to handle. Costume and set changes, sound and lighting design, they all present their challenges with one performance, but when you do it again and again, you'll have to worry about the health of the actors, the musicians, the stagehands, not to mention the wear and tear on all of the costume and set pieces. The stage mimics an environment the best it can with scale props or painted backdrops, but the best it can achieve is an approximation of a locale, and it's up to the audience to suspend their disbelief and immerse themselves in the story. Movies have the budget to actually film the story wherever they want to, and if on-location shooting isn't possible, then a set that is not limited to the confines of a stage can be built. And these days, a set can be built not only within a sound stage, but also virtually within a computer. Oh, and with each performance in live theater, there's only one chance per performance to get it right. There aren't multiple takes or camera resets. Now, it may sound like I prefer watching Broadway stories on film than on stage. That's not exactly true. While I do prefer the visual medium of a screen to that of a stage, that's not to say that the stage isn't a better place for some stories to be told. The best example that comes to mind is the Tony award-winning show Avenue Q. Part of the charm of that production was that we actually got to see the puppeteers manipulate their characters in doing absolutely vile acts. You can't put your finger there! Oh, put your finger there! Yep. That won the Tony.
0: Think of... the Tony. Tony, 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 Tony,
1: Tony! So, I grew up watching the different award shows, and the four that make up EGOT... Well, who's an EGOT?
0: EGOT is not a person, TJ. It's a goal. It stands for Emmy, a Grammy, Oscar,
1: and Tony. The Tony Awards were least accessible to me. I couldn't believe that there was a major award show out there only for shows that people could watch in one city. Even as a young kid, I felt that Broadway was only made for a select group of people that had their own club, and the pomp and circumstance surrounding this particular industry was so... Gay?
0: Exactly.
1: No, not gay. Rich. The theater was for rich people, and the only people who would ever care about this award were those who could afford to make the trip to Manhattan and watch the show. Near the end of 2008, Broadway was having trouble filling seats. While I'm sure part of it was due to the start of the Great Recession, the difficulty filling seats probably had something to do with the disconnect that the industry had with the rest of the world. On an episode of Saturday Night Live, characters from different Broadway shows came together to discuss solutions to this problem in a sketch called Save Broadway.
0: All right, look, guys, we know it's bad out there, and we are all struggling. Yeah, some people are even having a hard time paying rent. Oh, my God. Please, don't do that anymore.
1: That was Jason Sudeikis as the Phantom of the Opera, and Neil Patrick Harris reprising his character of Mark Cohen from the musical Rent. Throughout the sketch, the various Broadway characters have absolutely no worthwhile suggestions to help save Broadway, until Mark says,
0: We can put on a big show. With lavish costumes and huge expensive sets, we'll charge like $150 a ticket.
1: Which, of course, is the problem they were having in the first place. That's why the film adaptation of the Broadway musical makes economic sense. You film it under controlled circumstances, with as many chances as needed to get it right, You distribute throughout the world and you charge at most around 15 bucks a person that type of exposure is critical to getting your story out so how do you go about making a good movie adaptation of a broadway musical well because musicals are centered around performance good casting seems to be the top priority and here's where theater fans get a little bit nuts to them Only the ones who originated the role on Broadway are allowed to play their characters. Carol Channing is the definitive Dolly Levi from Hello Dolly, or Angela Lansbury is the definitive Mrs. Lovett from Sweeney Todd. That's understandable. There's a sentimentality that comes with the originator that extends even to movies. After all, isn't Peter Weller the definitive Robocop? But I'll get back to star-making roles later. Right now, I'm just concentrating on general casting. In order for the movie to appeal to a broad enough audience, you'll need to cast someone with not only the right talent, but the right name to draw a crowd. And this is where it's hit or miss. In early movie adaptations, all Hollywood cared about was the name or the look. The vocals didn't matter, because they could be dubbed over later by someone else. Yes, actors like Julie Andrews, Howard Keel, and Robert Preston did their own vocals, but many times, trained singers were brought in to record over the original singing. One of the most famous voiceover singers was Marnie Nixon, who provided the singing voices of Marilyn Monroe in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes and Deborah Carr in The King and I. Here she is, dubbing over Audrey Hepburn in My Fair Lady. Marnie Nixon's involvement in these musicals was kept secret for many years. Here she is, talking about her experience with The King and I. And I was warned, of course, that if anybody ever found out that I did any part of Deborah Carr's singing, that I would be ostracized. I would be They would see to it that I wouldn't work in town again. Here, Marnie Nixon talks about the challenge of matching her singing voice to the different actresses she was hired to dub over. Now, did you beat yourself up trying to precisely replicate the voice of the star who you were done in? Oh, not beat myself up. I mean, that, that was part of the job. My goodness. Yes, I mean, that's the, that's the whole... I took great pride in having nobody notice that there was any difference in, uh, in the accent, in the speech pattern, and the sound, the timbre of their voice. I tried to color my voice so that it became them. Today, the thought of someone coming in to dub over someone else is a poor reflection of the talent of the performer whose voice is removed. Remember Millie Vanilli? The ownership of one's total performance is something that has grown to include not just singing, but dancing and even stunts as well. The challenges to proper casting with regards to big-name talent are as follows. Is the risk of casting someone with a big name but a poor voice more or less of a risk than that of casting someone with a great voice but no name to answer that i bring up two examples the 2002 film version of chicago and the 2012 film version of les miserables That was John C. Riley in his Academy Award-nominated role of Amos in Chicago. Prior to being in Chicago, his most famous role was that of porn star Reed Rothschild in Boogie Nights. Since Chicago, John C. Riley has been prolific in drama and comedy, appearing in several frat-pack projects. Yup, a, yep, a varied career. John C. Riley and the rest of the cast of Chicago were all big name stars, but that didn't stop the internet from going crazy when hearing that Richard Gere, Queen Latifah, and Renee Zellweger were also cast. And you know what? They all did an excellent job. Why should audiences have doubted that? Because it's something that people strangely have some sort of protectiveness over, and in some cases, they're right.
0: The worst call since they cast Russell Crowe in Les Mis!
1: Right there! <laughs> Boy, were the theater folks mad about that. But here's the thing. The rage seems to have extended into Russell Crowe's other projects as well. The man is a really good actor. An Academy Award winning one at that. But fans of Les Mis keep forgetting that. Their hatred of Russell Crowe's performance in that movie seems to have tainted his entire body of work. Forget A Beautiful Mind or The Insider. His Javert makes the rest of his work unwatchable by association. These movie versions of Chicago and Les Miserables were the first time I'd ever seen these shows performed. I suspect it's that way for many people. But I'll tell you this. My judgment of the show isn't centered around one performer. If I like the show, I'm going to like it because of the songwriting and the storytelling. Les Mis has some great songs in it, but not enough for me to justify sitting for three hours watching people talk in British accents about how to save France in an obscure time in French history. I will watch a show about puppets f***ing. When we come back, my commentary to the critics of Carrie Underwood and her casting in NBC's upcoming live show of The Sound of Music hi it's buzz from buzz burbank news and comment
0: also here on the realm network this is jabari of the jabari brown
1: podcast
0: hey this is adam shirock from the gaming marathon
1: omar was recently on our show and apparently it's a big deal i guess he's having what is it his sixth hey omar
0: congratulations on 10 great shows you'll be up to a dozen soon a very special congratulations on his 10th Is
1: this his seventh episode? I don't know. I've never heard it before.
0: Awesome job so far.
1: It might be his tenth. I think that's why it's important. That's it. Is that it? For how many listeners does he have? Like six or seven? I
0: can't believe that you were able to achieve this fantastic milestone on the Realm Network or in the podcasting world in general. I do not even know when he joined the network. The ability to sit down for 20 minutes and talk about things that you watch while sitting on the couch and eating potato chips is absolutely enthralling to me.
1: When we first had, you know, our 10th episode right. about three to four years ago, <laughs> Can you remember we, were that ver- we were
0: very excited to yeah. show the eight people who listened to it. Right. So I, I if, if it was that. If it was eight. So right. I'm sure he's excited for his eight Facebook friends to find out about his 10th episode. I do 10 shows every two weeks. Maybe you could bump it up to 22 minutes. Two words, Omar. Time Management. Congratulations, Omar. Congratulations. Congratulations, buddy. I guess. Yeah. We'll
1: see how long you last.
0: Yeah, we'll see if it gets to 15.
1: And action. NBC is putting together a spectacular new live
0: television event just in time for the holiday season. The hills are alive with the sun.
1: Multi platinum recording artist Carrie Underwood stars in this beloved family classic. The rehearsals are going on now. Watch the show as it happens, live. The Sound of Music, Thursday, December 5th on NBC. When the announcements were made that not only was NBC airing a production of The Sound of Music, but that Carrie Underwood was being cast as Maria, all my theater friends immediately lost their sh. It was the theater nerd equivalent of the fanboy reaction to the news that Ben Affleck was cast as the new Batman. It was as if Julie Andrews, and only Julie Andrews, is ever allowed to play Maria on screen. Look, guys, I get why you may be upset at casting decisions, but there are several important things that we all need to remember. 1. Things aren't as important as we make them out to be. Sure, when we write the word theater, we spell it with a pretentious R-E at the end instead of the provincial E-R. But to get this worked up over a casting choice is a waste of energy. Second, this is exactly what theater is about. A show is never meant to be performed one definitive time. If that were the case, the entire community theater industry would collapse under the weight of unreachable expectations. When a theater puts on a production of The Sound of Music, the actress cast as Maria isn't trying to be Julie Andrews, and the only people expecting her performance to match that of Julie Andrews are holes. Shows are meant to be performed time and again. NBC's production is just one more iteration of that. Third, we haven't even seen Carrie Underwood in the role, and she's already being dismissed. Why? Because she's a country singer? Because her claim to fame is as an American Idol winner? Because she's, worst of all, pretty and has a nice smile? If that's why she's being judged, it's a pretty shallow reason for dismissing her. Theater folks are supposed to be pretty forgiving. After all, isn't that why Glee made it past its first season? Fourth. There's nothing you can do about it except not watch. And if I know my theater friends, they'll at least be deviating it. I suspect they'll be watching it live making snarky remarks and imagining someone else in the role, maybe even themselves. But look, we didn't audition for these roles, so let's not treat Carrie Underwood's casting as a rejection. She
0: didn't get the call back. My F- life.
1: Of course, you can feel however you want. You can be as dramatic as you want over something like this. But just ask yourself, will that outrage over a casting decision mean that much? Lighten up, Francis. Wise words, Sarge. Wise words.
0: I hope I haven't taken up too much of your time.
1: That's it for this episode of ARG. Thanks to Jabari, Michael, Joe, and Panda from the Jabari Brown Podcast, Adam Chirac from the Gaming Marathon, and Buzz Burbank from Buzz Burbank News and Comment for the words of encouragement. Listen to their shows and others by visiting the Realm Network at realmnetwork.com. If you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and leave a five-star review. Like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash arcreviews, Follow the show on Twitter at Arc Reviews, and you can email me at Arts Review and Commentary at gmail.com. My name is Omar Latiri, and this is Arc.
0: The preceding presentation was brought to you by the Realm Network.